Today is Mother's Day. <laughs> you know, and our, our moms, they just, they just have a way, don't they? I mean, the, the right words and the right timing um, it makes all the difference in the world. And um, guys, we know full well that our wives often have that same effect. They are, after all, mothers as well. And um, I just have to brag on my wife real quick, so you're going to have to indulge me. Um, you really can't go anywhere, so you have no choice. But uh, we were watching a movie last night. It was the Kurt Warner story. I think it's called American Underdog. Uh, really, really good movie. And, and for those of you that don't know, uh, part of my story is, is I did play football. I had an injury in college that cut my career short. And, you know, I think as we were watching that movie, great football movie, I think that maybe I started going into this what-if mode. You know, what, what would be different? And, and maybe even some self-pity came in. And, and I don't know. I don't know if my wife saw that on my face or, or maybe knew that, that that would affect me. But uh, towards the end of the movie, she looked at me and she said, you know what? You get a quarterback tomorrow. And those words just instantly brought me out of those what-ifs, brought me out of that self-pity, brought me right back to purpose and, and plan. And uh, that's just, again, that's the power. That's the power of a mom's words. It's the power of a woman's words. Uh, it, it truly is incredible. So we are celebrating appropriately today. We are going to talk about the story of motherhood. Uh, I've titled the lesson, Breaking the Curse. Gazing out the window, Jane despised what she saw. Those smiling saps with all the children. And at the center of the melee was Joan, dopey grin, doting husband on her arm, and the swarm of her children crowding her home with children of their own. Jane looked smugly from the window to the mirror. She had been the most sought-after single in the town. Now approaching 70, she considered herself well-preserved, dodged the pain of childbirth, and still thought highly of her figure. Having avoided the clutter of kids, her home was neat, clean, calm, and quiet. Now a widow, the holiday found her untroubled, unharried by duties and noise. No one for whom she must play the slave, no one to clean up after, no one to trouble her calm. She was alone. So really we're going to talk about theology today. Theology is simply the study of God, who He is, what has he said? What is his character? How does he relate to us? And how do we relate to him? These questions can only be answered by looking at what is written of him in his word. And in fact, the only access we have to those answers is through what those who experienced him and, and, and thought about him thankfully wrote down. We seek a worldview based upon what they wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And, and it's the big picture, it's the larger story that tells us of God, His plans, His purposes, and His relationship with us. The natural outgrowth of then this, of this then is, is the theology of important issues in life, other issues. In our case today, again, we're going to be looking at the theology or the story of motherhood. We want to see how motherhood fits into the Bible's larger story. What does God's larger story tell us about motherhood? What do the psalmists say? What do the sages who wrote the Proverbs tell us about motherhood? 
How do the apostles understand the issue? And, and what did they teach? And certainly we want to know what Jesus had to say. The story informs the statements. The statements confirm the story, exposing, confirming, affirming, explaining one another, all works together. And so we'll investigate the story and, and we're going to consider some of the Bible statements regarding motherhood. And early on in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we're told that the seed of the woman would one day crush the head of the serpent. And, and towards the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 17, the story depicts this dragon who's waiting to devour the seed of the woman. And that seed, that child of the woman is the Bible's main character. And his life depends upon his mother giving him birth. And from this alone, it, it can be seen that motherhood is vital to the main plot of the Bible. But, but not just to the main plot is it vital. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd ask you to turn with me to the book of Genesis. I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And then we'll flip to Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 7, and then verses 15 through 25. And so if you are able this morning, please stand with me as I read the very words of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And now Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And now in verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man." For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is your revelation to us of your love and your mercy. And Father, it's how we can know you and, and really how we can know ourselves. And so, Father, this morning I pray that you would sanctify us through your truth for your word is truth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
So we see right away from the pages of the Bible that both fatherhood and motherhood are fundamental human responsibilities. They're the first things that God says to Adam and Eve after he blesses them. And in order for them to accomplish what God has told them to do, they realize that neither one of them can accomplish that on their own. To be fruitful and to multiply and to subdue requires that they do this together. The two of them alone would not be able to fill the earth, would not be able to subdue it and exercise that dominion. So motherhood, motherhood is vital to the mandate that God has given humanity to fulfill and and to fill and subdue. And so God places man in the garden to work it and to keep it, and he puts the woman there with him to help him. And both of them bear the image and likeness of God, and they cannot accomplish this task apart from one another. Specifically for us today, humanity cannot do what God commands without motherhood. And so back to the garden, God gave the man this command to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2, 16 and 17, the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now it appears that this command was given only to the man. It appears the woman is not yet there. And the penalty for, give, for disobeying this command is death. Now certainly we understand that death would stop the man and the woman from multiplying, filling, and ruling over the worst because of the earth because they, they would be dead, right? And death would also certainly stop them from keeping the garden and, and the woman from helping him because again, they would be dead. And so humanity must obey God's command if they are to fulfill God's directive. Disobedience disqualifies them. They cannot do what God has commanded apart from obedience. However, Adam and the woman, she's yet to be named, they they do not obey. Genesis 3, verses 1-6, through Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. So the serpent contradicts the idea that death will be the result of their disobedience. He, he wants to write his own story, one that is completely contrary to God's. The serpent, the dragon, Satan, he desires to be like God. He seeks to establish his own counterfeit kingdom, polluting God's creation, infecting it with disobedience and with sin is his attempt at usurping God's purposes. But God is sovereign. And He is the only one who has brought this story into being. The the meager words, those deceptive actions of the serpent 
will not prevail against those that God has spoken and the things that He has performed. And were it not for God's mercy, mercy, death would have stopped motherhood before it even started. So God calls the man and the woman and the serpent to Him after this deception and their disobedience in the garden. He curses the serpent and then He turns His attention to the man and to the woman. And as a result of their sin... God announces that the directive given to them will now be much more difficult to achieve. Look at Genesis 3.16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The woman's part in being fruitful and multiplying was made more difficult by pain added to childbearing. And her role of helping her husband is now complicated by her desire to control. The result of their disobedience hits the woman precisely at the point of motherhood. God's announcement of this new order, increased difficulty, stands against motherhood physically and emotionally and relationally. Physically through pain, relationally that she no longer desires to submit, but to control emotionally from that that domineering attitude of her husband. Yet in the pronouncement here of God, we also see that one of the greatest aspects of the story of redemption will in fact be motherhood. God's compassion, His mercy and love soars over the consequences of their disobedience so that in the place of death, He gives this promise of new life. We, we see this promise as he speaks the curse upon the serpent. Look at verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3. I will put enmity between you and between the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. The serpent hears that God will put this enmity between himself and the woman, his seed and her seed. He, the serpent, would fall upon the heel of the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman would fall upon the head of the serpent. And so God goes on to address the woman and the man, but instead of of words of death, God proclaims for them life. The, The edict was that in the day that you eat of this, surely you will die. They have eaten from the tree. And yet, in the words spoken to the serpent, they hear that not only will they not die physically this day, but they will have a seed. Not only will the lives continue beyond this point, but they'll have children. The directive still stands. They will multiply. And the seed of the woman is going to strike the head of that serpent where mortal blows are landed. At the time, same time, he'll experience that strike to the heel, but those rarely lead to death. And so Moses and what he's recorded for us, that response to the pronounced judgment and this promise of mercy, they will not die, but they'll have a seed. That seed will do more damage to the serpent than the serpent does to him. Adam's response shows his understanding of the significance of motherhood. Genesis 3.20, he says, Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. 
Adam responds in faith to the, the words of judgment spoken over the serpent. Adam believed that a part of that judgment was a promise of life for himself, for the woman, her seed, and ultimately life for the entirety of humankind. If the woman does not become a mother, then her seed cannot, will not fall upon the head of the serpent. God's announcement to the woman of pain and childbearing, yes, increases the difficulty, but it's not impossible. Motherhood makes the world's salvation possible. In fact, the world's salvation will only come through motherhood. The, the death was, was deserved, yes, it was prescribed, but God extends mercy, and His mercy comes only through motherhood. You see, the man pays no part in this process ultimately with the seed of the woman. Eve is without the specific seed needed in that procreation process. And yet somehow, some way, God is going to achieve this through the woman and the woman alone. And Eve shows that she understands the significance of motherhood when she gives birth to Cain. Right? She says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. But Cain proves not to be the seed of the woman, but the seed of the serpent, because he murders his brother Abel, and he is cursed just as his father, the devil, is. And so Eve then gives birth again, and her words at the birth of Seth show that she understands this. It says, and she called his name Seth. That word means compensation. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Cain, instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Now Eve seems to be looking for the seed of the woman who will conquer the serpent, who will break the curse, and who will ultimately restore life. The promised seed is the main reason for the meticulous keeping of the genealogical record in the Bible. The genealogies testify to the hope of this promised seed of the woman. Without motherhood, there, there's no genealogy. And in the midst of the Genesis 5 genealogy, Lamech words at the birth of Noah indicate that every generation since Adam and Eve have been looking for this seed of the woman who will inflict that fatal and final blow to the skull of the serpent. Genesis 5, 28 and 29, Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son. Now he called his name Noah, saying this one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Eve's words at the birth of Cain and Seth testify to the hope for the promised skull-crushing seed. Lamech's word indicate that those who believe that God's promise about the seed of the woman also think that that victory is going to roll back the curse on the land, reopen the way to Eden and the presence of God and to that blessed life. And the genealogy continues and it brings us to Abraham. However, we read that Abraham has a barren wife. But just as God's word prevailed over death when he spoke judgment to that serpent, God's word prevailed over Sarah's barrenness when he speaks blessings to Abraham. 
Genesis chapter 12, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. These promises then are passed to Isaac and Isaac to Jacob. But for this to happen, for this promise to be passed from generation to generation, God has to grant the mercy of motherhood on a barren Sarah and a barren Rebecca. Along the way, he also has to overcome two selfish, she's my sister, lies in order to preserve that line and, and that channel of blessing. And so God's promise of seed, of blessing, of life, even stands against physical inability to bear children and the moral folly of their husbands. God blessed them with the mercy of motherhood in spite of their inability and of their sin. Remarkable, miraculous births litter the landscape of the Scriptures. Rachel had difficulty becoming a mother. And it was only when God heard her prayer and opened her womb that Joseph was born. The birth of of Perez and and Zerah, the sons of Judah and and Tamar, they come about through circumstances that are anything but, but favorable. Samson's mother was barren until the angel of the Lord appeared to her announcing that she would give birth. The text of Ruth, while not expressly stating that Ruth is barren, she's been married for 10 years and is childless before her marriage to Boaz and before giving birth to the grandfather of King David. Hannah's womb is shut until she cried out. And and God hears her and, and she gives birth to Samuel. And of course, the most profound and miraculous birth of all, Jesus, the seed, the Messiah, was born of a virgin. And we understand how it could be then the seed of the woman who falls upon the head of the serpent. Another miraculous, the most miraculous birth of them all. Prophet Isaiah writes, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God oversaw the preservation of the seed of the woman and mothers gave birth to sons and to daughters, keeping hope alive, making the promise possible. Without motherhood, the Bible's plot goes nowhere. For its protagonist, the seed of the woman, would never have been born to triumph over the arch antagonist, the great dragon, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. Motherhood is a mercy to all of us. Motherhood is an honor. Now only Mary gave birth to the Messiah, but every mother who bears a child experiences what she did. Every mother who bears a child partakes in those pains of childbirth, which are linked to the end times and to the fulfillment of all of God's promises for humanity. Just as the suffering of a woman brings new life into the world, so the messianic woes, those birth pains of the end coming, will give birth to a new creation. God uses motherhood to testify that life prevails over death, blessings triumph over curses, and the infant child of the woman foreshadows the doom that that ancient dragon can expect. And I am sure it is that reason 
That, that every birth of every child creates a stench in the nostrils of the devil. Is it any wonder that he seeks to destroy life before it even has the chance to begin? Abortion is the scheme of the devil and it is straight from the pits of hell. Birth. Yeah. Praise God. Birth foreshadows his doom. And every child born tells him that his fate is impending and nearing. Every child born tells the story of redemption and he cannot tolerate it. But God answers Satan's defiance and destruction with the obedient submission of a woman who does exactly what God has made her to do. Helping her husband to multiply, fill, and subdue the earth. And she does that by being a mother. And by means of motherhood, God answers Satan's deception with this humble child and makes possible the redemption and the reconciliation of the entire world to himself. What about single women or those with no children? The Bible does have a lot to say. The biblical authors are aware that not everyone marries and not everyone is able to bear children. The Bible's instructions to older women in Titus 2, 3-6, through I think are relevant here. They may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. Those verses have a very, very maternal note to them. Single women may not be mothers of their own families, but they need not be alone. They can still fulfill that purpose. And the family of God provides them a set of relationships in which they can pursue that matriarchal role. And the urgency of the gospel gives them something for which to live. They have the opportunity to give birth, if you'll give me that, to bring new life through the proclamation of the gospel. They have the opportunity to join fathers and mothers in raising their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord so that their children will in turn honor their parents and live that same life of multiplication as promised in the Scriptures. We also understand from the Scriptures that God has a heart for adoption. We are, after all, called the adopted sons and daughters, joint heirs to the promises. We are also told that caring for orphans and for widows, is pure and undefiled religion. So perhaps God intends to have those who are unable to have children to be fruitful and multiply by means of adoption. The themes of motherhood run throughout the Scriptures. And I think perhaps that's because God Himself describes the way in which for he, he cares for us as the type of care a mother provides for her children. In Exodus 34, 6, this is God's self-revelation, His self-description. He proclaims who He is to Moses. And He does so by telling Moses what He does. It's as if He's telling Moses, Moses, if you want to know who I am, just look at what I do. God points to His actions to describe who He is. And the very first thing He says about Himself is that He is compassionate. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate. 
The Hebrew word for compassion is rahum. Compassion has the exact same root for the word womb, which is rahim. So by calling himself compassionate, rahum, God is declaring he has a mother-like affection for his created. God is declaring that he desires to nurture, to forgive, to protect his people just as a mother has compassion on her own children. We read in the Psalms several times of the refuge and the rest and the protection that can be found in the shadow of his wings. The picture is a common illustration and one that Jesus uses himself. In fact, Jesus, the master, he is the embodiment of compassion. In the Gospels, we often read that he was moved with compassion he expresses this compassion, this mother-like compassion, when he, when he cries over Jerusalem. He says, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. A hen provides her brood protection and security and safety under her wings. And some here may be familiar with the intensity with which a mother head hen will protect her chicks. I've seen videos of, of hens battling very large snakes to protect their chicks, and they are ferocious and fierce in their defense of their young. And I'm sure we've all heard at least once the illustration of the aftermath of a barnyard fire when a dead hen has been picked up and her chicks scurry out from underneath her. A hen will sacrifice herself to protect her children from the fire. And there we have the ultimate image of our God who is compassionate. When we read He was moved with compassion in the Gospels, that is exactly what it means. He moved because of His compassion. Consider these verses. Matthew 9.36 Seeing the people, he felt compassion. He felt motherly care for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 14.14, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion, motherly care for them, and he healed their sick. Matthew 20.34, moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Mark 1, 41-42, moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out His hand and touched Him and said to Him, I am willing, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left Him and He was clean. And Luke 7, 13-14, when the Lord saw her, He felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. And He came up and touched the coffin and the bearers came to a halt and He said, young man, I say to you, Arise. Young man, I say to you, arise. Old man, old woman, not so old man, not so old woman, maybe, maybe not so young is better. I say to you, arise. Whoever you are, wherever you are, the God of compassion the God of of mother-like deep emotional care and concern for you is saying to you, arise. 
He has made a way for you to escape the greatest enemy of our souls, which is death. His death, his willing sacrifice of himself, has paid the penalty for your sins. You are no longer in debt to sin and to the grave. But more than this, he rose from the dead and he is alive today. And that fact makes it possible for you to begin to experience kingdom life right now and forevermore. The resurrection proves that he has the power to forgive sins and that he has the power to grant eternal life. And that is not something we simply wait for. Just try to hang on until he comes. That is something that we can experience now. Right now. We can experience kingdom living now. Won't you accept that today? And won't you come to Him and repent and believe He is waiting? And He tells us that He's willing to endure the pain of childbirth for the joy of when that child is born. Come today. Make His joy complete in you. For those of you here that have already made that decision, you, you've already repented and believed the gospel. You've identified your life with Jesus. You need to understand that your mantra is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. We are to live in such a way that we are to bring the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom, to the earth. What does that look like? Well, apparently, that looks an awful lot like motherhood. Across the street from Jane's house, the little cyclones had gone to bed. The adults had flung themselves into chairs, a still hush follow, falling in the growing dark at the end of the day. The adults sat in front of the fire, soft smiles, quiet exhaustion. You know, dear... We could have avoided all of this. Joan smiled at the sarcastic joy behind her husband's word. Neither wanted to avoid any part of love. When we found we were infertile, he continued, I wondered for a time whether any of this would be ours. If you had avoided all of this, said their eldest son, whom they had adopted first, none of it would have been mine either. Nor mine. Nor mine. And I'm glad you didn't stop at three, added the youngest, throwing in a broad grin. Joan looked at her husband and quoted the first line of Proverbs 17.6. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. As she paused, their daughter looked to her mother and father, adding the rest of the line, and the glory of children is their father's. Joan's husband, warm more by the words than the fire, looked into the eyes of his wife and quoted snatches of Proverbs 11.17 and 12.4. A gracious woman gets honor. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. As if on cue, the children not of her womb, but of her heart and life joined their father in their mother's praise. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Praise God for motherhood. Yes. And praise Him, absolutely, mothers who deserve that. Praise Him for our redemption. 
praise Him for our adoption. Let's pray together.